What's up, everybody? How are ya? So this podcast was done a little bit differently, and I've actually edited this one. I'm learning. So, on that note, welcome to the Brutally Honest Podcast, and this podcast is sponsored by none other than the Nerds That Care. For all your technology needs, everything from software, technology, hardware, computer infrastructure, anything of that nature is easily resolved with a quick phone call, an email to the company, asking them how they can help your company. Uh, they, they've saved money, they'll still cut costs um, for your business, and make the overall environment pretty productive. And today, I want to welcome my very good friend, Rob Carbone. Uh, we had a great conversation, obviously this is done afterwards, um, on everything from history, marketing, a um, little bit of science in there. We threw a little bit of maybe not political views, but political thoughts in there, um, just to give embrace yourself later on in the show. So uh, buckle up, get ready, and welcome to the show. What's up, buddy? Hey, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I am well. All right, so my friend today is Rob Carbone, and he has a... Oh, shit, my, my audio is a little off. All right, cool. So <laughs> I probably should have checked that a little bit before the show. You know, you kind of just you kind of just go with it nowadays. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how I'm living. Just living, living dangerously, yeah. I like to think. You know what? There's so many people with podcasts that you just look at them and say, why are you doing this? Oh, people say it about me all the time. No, but this is at least, you know, we'll talk some business, we'll shoot some shit. My daughter has two guys she graduated high school with. They're twins, and they're very disturbing-looking twins. Like, I guess they want to be models or something. And they've got a podcast just based on them being twins. And it's like, uh, why? <laughs> is it? Have you listened to it? Is it? No, I try to avoid it because they're very disturbing-looking. When they graduated, they had done, like, that permatan, dyed their hair blonde. And as my daughter said, they're really buff, but they've got, like, little doll heads. So it's really disturbing to Ew. see. Yeah, it's, it's quite creepy. I'm almost curious to see a photo. Yeah, you, you don't want to. It's, right. it's it's one of those things where you, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, you know they they would fit in very well in the cantina scene in Star Wars. That's so funny. Oh, I'll take your opinion for it. Make the aliens look normal. <laughs> the uh, that's pretty funny. All right, so we'll get right down to business real quick because I know that you're a marketing consultant. Yes. You, um, how long have you been in marketing? How'd you get into it? Uh, <laughs> and all that good jazz. Uh, I've been marketing now. I've been in marketing for 25 years. Uh, yeah, I'm up there in years. Um, I it's sort of, good. I sort of fell ass backwards into it. Okay. Uh, I was. Uh, explain. I was in Nashville Community College studying. <laughs> show you how old I am. They they didn't call it information processing. It was data processing. Okay. And I, and I actually can tell you, my first program I ever wrote in data processing mm-hmm. was on punch cards. We had a punch card machine. Oh my, my first program, five hundred cards. Yeah. Had a, and, and all the program did was say hello, my name is. But it was five hundred freaking cards. Jeez. I learned dead language after dead language. <laughs> dead, and dead I, language I mean, literally, like, I, I mean, it was stuff that like we thought we were hot shit because we were doing basic. Uh-huh. You know, now you go there and they're, they're teaching Microsoft Office as basic programs. I'm like, okay. Um, but I, I graduated. I, it was actually interesting. I started, I went there out of high school, was there for a year. Wasn't feeling it. 
dropped out, went to uh, a school called Grumman Data Systems Institute, which the old Grumman Aerospace, mm-hmm. they, had a co- they had a school in the Syosset area. Oh, wow. Okay. And they That's taught, something I never knew. They taught data processing. And they taught electronics technology. I went to school for electronics technology. And um, got out of that, worked for a couple of companies, uh, very small, crappy companies. And um, then I was working for a defense contractor that used to be here on Long Island called Hazeltine. I've heard of Hazeltine. And after about two years, two and a half years there, um, I was still living at home with my folks. And my mom said, you know, you're just, you're not, you don't seem happy. And she goes, why don't you go, she goes, just resign, go back to school full time. How long will it take you to finish? Take me about a year. Uh, I got through all but seven credits and then got a job. And I got hired by A.C. Nielsen the TV ratings people. Okay. Uh, but I was doing their market research side. So I was managing databases and everything. And um, that got me into marketing, basic market research. I was doing some voiceover work for them and um, had some interesting moments. I, mm-hmm. I went back, I finished my degree and then started at CW Post and had to take a market research class. And I got out of it and got the credits because they were using a scanner that was this first-generation scanner of what we were using. Mm-hmm. So I walked in and told the professor I could teach the class for you. And he asked me what I did, and I told him, and he said, you're just getting the credits. Don't even worry about it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and then a uh, couple, of, couple of things happened. I was married. My, uh, I lost my job that I had. My wife had just had a baby. My father-in-law had just died of Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh. Uh, it was a bad... We're divorced now. We're very good friends, but it was a bad time for us. And um, then I, I took some, not didn't take some years off. I basically couldn't, the job market was hell. And uh, then I got a job doing just some basic marketing stuff. I was doing trade shows. I was doing email blasts. It was with a company called Cheyenne Software. Okay. Uh, they were a big company for a while, bought out by Computer Associates. Mm-hmm. And um, I split before they got hired because I heard they were just buying it for the software and getting rid of everyone. And then from there, I, I ended up working in a number of different industries. One of the things that truly um, sucks about marketing uh, is whenever a company has a marketing department and a sales department, the moment things start going bad and they have to save money, in their minds, marketing and sales are the same thing. And since the sales guys are working toward commissions, mm-hmm. well, we'll just have them do the marketing stuff as well. The problem is, and no offense to any of the salespeople out there, salespeople do not know marketing. They, 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 nope. Their idea of marketing is, I'm going to talk to you and try to get you to do a sale. You ask them to do, and this is going all the way back before the internet and social media was so big, send an email, write an email, write copy, uh, do a trade show. Yeah. Didn't know what they were doing. Absolutely. Um, so I, w- I started a process of jumping from company to company, made a lot of poor choices. I will ad- I freely admit it, made a lot of poor choices with companies. That's how you learn, man. Yeah. And um, it, it was not good for my marriage. It was, mm. st- was stress-inducing. Um, and uh, picked up a lot of skills along the way. I managed trade show budgets. I managed uh, channel marketing uh, channels worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, worked for some great companies, Cheyenne Software. Worked for a company called Boundless Technologies. Um, then uh, I got a job. I was working for a, a travel wholesaler, just doing basic marketing stuff for them, mm-hmm. emails, website stuff. Uh, they got bought out and they did a reorg and okay. basically eliminated positions. 
Oh, wow. And they had me interview for five positions, but I knew going into the interview that they had already filled those five positions. They were just giving me a courtesy. Oh, so that's um, even worse. Yeah. And um, at the time, my ex had started working for Bank of New York, and she had met someone through a um, a support group for women who lost their mothers at a young age. She lost her mother at a very young age. Yeah. Um, this woman worked for Bank of New York as well, got me in at Bank of New York in their hedge fund group. And, yeah. I, and I, I never worked in banking before. I couldn't balance my own checkbook. Really, yeah. I'm just an idiot. Yeah, yeah, feel free to curse, too. And I got... Yeah. Okay. And... Um, I got in there, and they started training me, and then they said, oh, we're going to put you on something special. And I'm like, okay, what are you going to put on someone on special? The guy who, A, doesn't have a bachelor's degree. The degree he has isn't in finance, and he's never worked in a bank before. We're going to put you in, in charge of Goldman Sachs hedge funds. I was managing oh. 64, but it was real easy work. It really? Was, oh. What would happen was they would send us a spreadsheet on the 28th of the month. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was process all of those uh, – transactions by the 30th and print out statements for them. Sounds simple. Yeah. 64 hedge funds, 5,000 transactions. Two days. In a raw Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, so you get the whole month off and then you got to work your ass off for two days. Worked from 7 a.m. until midnight, three straight days. And um, got it done. And I thought, okay, this is good. And then the vice president, his old group that he used to run, was being eliminated. Mm-hmm. He brought people in, put them in above me, uh, brought other people in. So I went from – I was the guy who established it. I was now the low man on the totem pole. That's fucked up. So um, You're at the mercy of other people. Yeah. That's, the, that's one of my – I guess – I don't want to say my biggest pet peeves, but I see so many people that, go, that get stuck in situations like that where they're, they're no longer in even a little bit of control. They're just, they're just a puppet. Oh, yeah. That's, that's being manipulated by somebody else. That's the worst thing. Scariest moment for me, um, we would get these spreadsheets, and it would, it would be one big spreadsheet. Yeah. And we had to break it down by the funds, and each fund had two different parts, two different levels to it. Mm. So during the one month, I said, you know what? I'm pretty good with Excel. I'm going to teach myself how to do uh, macros, record macros. Okay. Created a macro that had to be 700 lines long. But what it would do is it would take that spreadsheet and in about three minutes, break it down into all the separate spreadsheets it needed by fund, sorted everything, marked oh, wow. who was the new, showed it to them. That's great. Don't ever do it again. What? We're worried it might get, it may get out on the internet. We're not even connected to the internet. We're blocked off from everything else. Yeah. We're as far from the internet as we can, but they were just, they were very luddite about technology for some reason. And um, lost my job there. And spent, and that was 2008. Okay. So, worst week of my life. Lose my job, and my ex asked me for a divorce because I lost my job and things were just going really bad. Damn. So, yeah, oh yeah, it was fun. Um, looking for jobs, can't find anything. A couple of months later, I get hooked up with Nassau Coliseum as an event security guard, mm-hmm. which was great. Yeah, that's a cool job, too. And uh, that helped me get through a lot because mm-hmm. I was making really good money there. Picked up some jobs, and it then began a procession of what I tell people is the, the, the biggest lesson I've learned about small and medium business owners mm-hmm. is that when it comes to marketing, they will tell you, I know I don't know marketing. I know you do know marketing. You just tell me what you're going to do, and we'll go from there. The only problem is, is that when you tell them, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do set up some social media. We're going to do some blogs. I'm going to rework the website. We're going to do an email campaign. We'll do some advertising on other websites. But it's going to take 
anywhere from three to nine months for this to become established, for people to be able to find it, and for you to start seeing results. Yeah. Understand, no problem. One month later, I'm not seeing anything. Two months later, why aren't I seeing anything? Three months later, I really need to see something. Do you remember the conversation we had? Yeah. Six to nine you got to get it in right. you got to write that down in writing. So but even if you do, they will just... I, I mean, the one company I worked for, the owner used to... Every time we had a company meeting, he would ask me what was going on in marketing. And I would say, oh, you know, well, Facebook. And he's like, has anybody Facebooked or tweeted this week? Like making fun of it. So now I leave and I move on to another job. And the next meeting, I found out he said, you know, I've learned something. We need to be doing more social media. And his head of sales got up and walked out of the room. He's like, I don't even want to talk to you anymore at this point. We had a guy doing it. You abused him. And now you're going to start talking about this? Of course. So, um, so I jumped around a lot, unfortunately. Got some good experience. But over that period, which was from 2008 until now, I've been focused mainly on social media marketing, email marketing, uh, content creation, WordPress website design. And I've realized that, you know, the companies out there that are going to hire me, they know they need to do this. They have budgets, and they're able to work with decent-sized budgets, give me a salary, whatever their insanity is later on when they decide to flip the switch. But I decided, okay, there are a lot of small companies out there. It could be mom-and-pop stores. They know they need to do some form of marketing. They know they need to be out there. They don't know how to get out there. Mm -hmm. They don't have the bandwidth to do it, to learn it, and to do it. So I go out there and I basically offer, um, you know what, you need a website. I'm going to build you a website. It's going to be built on WordPress. Uh, I'm going to set up all your social media. I'll write all your content for you. And then I'll tell you things that I think you should do to get your name out there. And, um, you know, I get a lot of, uh, I'm right, right now I have four clients. Uh, two of them are travel wholesalers. Uh, and I do all their social media for them. What, what are they wholesaling? Uh, mainly travel to Europe. Okay. So oh, wow. one okay. company focuses on, it's actually two companies owned by the same gentleman. He's a friend of mine. And we work together for one of these companies that he just acquired. Mm -hmm. So there's one that does your basic vacations anywhere in Europe, two people, small groups, uh, themed vacations, fly drives, you name it. Oh, wow. The other one just focuses on group travel. And they sell primarily to travel agents who then sell the group packages. And they, again, do a lot of Europe. Mm -hmm. Um and I have uh, two real estate brokers that I'm working with. And the interesting thing about real estate brokers is, um, you know, you work for a company like Douglas Elliman or Daniel Gale. Mm -hmm. They'll do a certain amount of marketing for you. They have the website. They'll put your name on it. They'll create content and everything. It's like very that. limited, though. Right. And they encourage these guys to do it themselves, do their own marketing. But only now they're starting to catch on and realize, you know what, I'm putting in 60-hour work weeks to try to buy and sell homes. When the hell am I going to do this? Oh, yeah, so, you can't. So it's and, impossible. And what I tell them is it's real simple. I will come in. I will do all of this stuff for you. I'm going to do it in the least expensive way possible because I know your funds are limited. So I'll get your website up. I, I push almost everybody, and I know this is going to be a, any web designer who hears me saying this, uh, not anyone, but some of them, they're going to hear what I'm going to say, and they're going to be like, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. GoDaddy. You want to build a website. You want to do it on WordPress. Go with GoDaddy. And there's two reasons why. Number one, if you're a first-time customer with them, at least on a regular basis, you sign up for the first time, it's 50% off for hosting. Yeah. And their WordPress hosting is amazing. And they'll throw in the URL for you as well. 
Oh, wow. And you get 24-7 support. And you get like, you know, if you if you build a WordPress site and you go through WordPress themselves, mm-hmm. all of those different widgets and everything else, you have to buy those, you have to install them, you have to constantly update them. If the WordPress website gets updated, WordPress software gets updated, you have to physically go and update it unless you're hosting with them, update it to your own server. Mm-hmm. With GoDaddy, I sign on to a WordPress site that I set up, and if there's been a new update to WordPress, oh, it's already been updated. You're done. You're ready. You're ready to roll. Well, they, to they do everything for you. Yeah. So it's inexpensive for a first-time website thing. So you can yeah. get a you can get a set up a website for three or four years, and you're only paying for what you would pay for maybe a year or two. That's a good deal. You know. And then from there, it's okay. We're going to do Facebook. It's free. We're going to do Twitter. It's free. We're going to do Instagram. It's free. Any of the social medias are free. They do have some uh, advertising to them, mm-hmm. but even that done in limited ways, you can do it and see how it works for you. And then there's utilities that you can use um, for uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to help you enhance what you're doing. And one of my favorite tools to use is Hootsuite because now yes, I've heard of Hootsuite. I can I can post to multiple social yep. media uh, sites all at once. Yeah, and, it's and li- you could do timed releases too, which yeah, is my uh, travel guy. Uh-huh. On Sunday, I sit down and I set up all the all the posts for Monday through Friday, and they're just going off. I'm doing whatever, and they're just firing off for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Instagram actually is a great, great app for Instagram called Ripple R I P L. Write this down. Yeah, you put it on your phone, and what you do, and for if you're a real estate broker or an interior designer, even like if you're a restaurant owner or something like that, where it's a visual thing. Mm-hmm. You could take six or seven pictures on your phone, and then on this, and there's a free version, and then there's a pay version, which the pay version is like seven ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. You can create a up to seven images, like a slideshow video, put copy on it, put an active URL on it, launch it to Instagram, and then you can share it to Facebook and wherever else, and it works there as well. So you could basically, if you could take five or six pictures, if you're, if you're a real estate broker and you just got a house... I can take an ex- two exterior shots, four or five interior shots, and then create another another one that just has information about the house and a link to contact me. Yeah. F- five minutes, it's up and running. That's crazy. You know? but there, And there's so many things like that that you can do that are um, relatively easy, don't require a lot of technical skill, but again... If you don't have the time and you don't, you know, you're not really technical, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you can learn it, but it's going to take you a while. I take that burden off people. And I tell them, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be an expert on your business. Yeah. You're going to teach me, you're going to tell me what you want me to share. I'll make it look good. I'm going to be the conduit. And I'm actually setting up a website for myself. Um, I, have a, I have an official name with the state because I incorporated. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, RFC Creative Services. They don't really get too creative with the name when it's the low end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm just – I'm an independent consultant. But the website's going to be called BonoVox. That's the URL, BonoVox.com. What does that stand Bono for? BonoVox is Latin for good voice. Oh, okay. Interesting how I found out about that. Bono, the lead singer of U2, uh-huh. when they first formed up, his, his name was BonoVox. And it meant good voice. And he got it from a um, – I think it was an ophthalmologist, whatever an ear doctor is, in Dublin. He saw the sign. It's uh-huh. Bono Vox. And that's what he took as his name. Now he just goes by Bono. But his name, when they first wow. came out, was Bono Vox, which meant good voice. Holy crap. So it's... Learned a lot right now. I try. Um, yeah, so 
the the marketing right now for me uh it's it's something i'm good at mm-hmm. and i can you know like i said if you need basic marketing done you have a story to tell but you're not certain how to tell it or you're not good communicating or you just don't have the time that's where i come in and the one thing that's funny is when i talk to people i was just in a uh, networking group a couple of weeks ago uh, actually about a month ago and there was another marketing guy in there, and he presented himself as a marketing consultant. And he's like, I guarantee that within three months, you're going to have a 15% increase in leads and this and that. And I introduced myself, and I said, um, unlike my friend here, I'm not going to guarantee you anything. I said, the reason why I'm not going to guarantee you anything, I'm just going to remind you of the movie Tommy Boy. When they say to him, <laughs> I, I need a box with a guarantee. And he says, hey. I could take a crap in a box, put a guarantee on it. All you've got is a guaranteed box of shit. Yeah. You know, I'm tell you, this is what I'm going to do for you. Yeah. So I don't tell anybody I'm going to increase your sales. What I'm going to do is I am going to take your business and online, social media, website, emails if you want. I'm going to help you create that web so you have a big enough net that people are able to find you. Mm. If you do it right, people are going to find you. And with small businesses, local businesses, it's hard. Well, a lot of them, they don't really need to be in the top of Google. Yeah, you know, they just need to show up, right? They just need to show up. For them, it's more important that you know what the stuff that I'm putting on Facebook. If someone searches on a hashtag for, you know, best pepperoni pizza, they're finding me. Yeah, you know, or or if somebody's looking for nerds that care. Mm-hmm. Someone needs IT support for the system they just installed, but they don't know where to go. Yeah. They're going to find nerds that care. Absolutely. You know? And, and that's, that's really what it is. Is it what I want to do for the rest of my life? No. No. I'm, uh, I'm actually uh, doing a lot of writing on my own. Okay. I'm working on three or four stories that could become novellas. Okay, and I'm hoping cool. to yeah I'm hoping to publish them on um, Amazon. Nice, for, man. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's really interesting. The self publishing area has gotten interesting in that uh, you can publish a book on um, on Amazon for people to download to the Kindle, mm-hmm. and they give you everything. This is how you got to format it and stuff like that. Really, these are, these are the legalese you need to do. And what they do is they get thirty percent of every sale. So if you want to make four dollars a book. All you have to do is figure out, like, maybe you'll sell your book for four ninety nine. Yeah. They get the 99 you get the $4. Wow. You know? And it's just anybody out there. And it's interesting. What, what, what put the bug in my head to try that is my daughter has a friend that she graduated high school with that four years ago mm-hmm. wrote fan fiction for a movie that she liked. And she had sold 7,000, 8,000 copies. Did, you know, not bad for a high school kid. Yeah, holy that's amazing. And they were able to get comments from people who bought the books. And she got a comment. And I've this is a great book. You should keep up with the writing. You should consider, you know, other areas of writing. It's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks found her book. No. And way. bought the book and read it. And I thought to myself, that's cool. And then my daughter, when she was into music, yeah. she would record videos of herself on YouTube doing covers of other people. And she did a cover of a band called the Mowglies, okay. or whatever their big song was. And she, she put it up on YouTube, and she hashtagged their name and everything. And she gets a comment one day from them. They saw her do the song. They thought it was great. I'm like, 
this this is amazing. The world of the internet. Yeah. You know, and then there's the other part of the internet that, you know, that gave rise to the Kardashians and that oh, of course. that stupid little twit that said cash me out. Oh, yeah. Which I just little, I just saw She the, makes a fuckload of money right now. She was planning a uh, US tour, but they've canceled it. I don't know what the hell she's doing on stage. 14 years old. Cash me out. That's she's going to go on tour. With what? I have no idea. I have no idea. The world of entertainment boggles my mind. Oh, you know, and I'm I mean, like, um, you know, you know, I, I do event security down at Jones Beach. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff down there that I see, I'm just amazed. Oh, it I really am. Blows my. I was talking to my buddy John, and we we're talking about subscribers, and he was on yesterday, and uh, the we're like, yeah, you know, it's this whole social media craze is fucking. Pure insanity. He's like, yeah, hey, you know, I know a guy. He gets a thousand dollars a post. He posts five times a day. I'm like, that's. He goes, yeah. He doesn't. He will not post anything. He's gotten to the point now where he will not post unless he's given the material to post, and the and the bottom price is a grand. I'm like, this dude has a is a quote unquote influencer, kind of like that catch me outside girl, and um, I could not even wrap my head. Around the fact that this dude is making a thousand, a bare minimum thousand dollars a post, and he posts five to six times a day. And I know, I know the dude because I follow. I don't, I don't know him personally, but I, I just happened to follow. I knew, I didn't know who it was. I just happened to follow him, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I, he's like, yeah, you know, he rat- rattles off the name, and uh, I don't want to say the name because I'm trying to get the person on here, um, to actually go over how this all happened to him, but. I, I couldn't believe it, and it's just a, it's like it's the luxury lifestyle that you can't have. People follow typically, for, at least what I've seen, people typically follow four things: hot chicks, cars, the lifestyle they can't have, and like a miscellaneous. Whether it's dumb stuff, guns, knives, whatever it is. The, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, the one switch is for both rooms, um, but. That's like the those are the four main topics that everybody follows. I mean, there's so many chicks that have forty, four hundred thousand, five hundred, a million. Amanda Cerny, I don't know if you know who she is. She has sixteen million followers. Selena Gomez, I'm sure you know who that oh, is. Yeah. Selena Gomez has over. I think she now has over a hundred million followers. One hundred million. That is literally one third of the goddamn country. Yeah, I saw. I, I actually, I'm curious to know how many she has now. I'm kind of. I saw a story about this couple. They met while traveling, and they were posting up about their travels and how they met one another. And they both had a decent amount of followers. Sorry, 122 million. God. Oh, um, God. It's and and they they started posting, and all of a sudden these places started recognizing them. They are now. He's 28. I think she's 27. All they do is travel around the world. They're constantly traveling. And while they're traveling, they're making a million and a half, two million dollars a year just posting about where they're traveling. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, this is insane. I thought about doing a a video blog. But then I thought about it and I said, okay, I could probably do it. I probably wouldn't get a lot of followers because I would want to do something I'm interested in. And one of the things that interests me is history. And I think about all the history that happened on Long Island and I thought, well, that could make an interesting. Just fucking go for it, man. I, I, yeah, just I, go for it. You know, I mean, like I was, we were sitting in the, we were sitting, I went with my daughter to see The Godfather. They had a 45th anniversary uh, show yeah. today, and I was pointing out to her 
Because they, first of all, I couldn't believe it when they did it, the trivia at the beginning. He filmed that in 62 days, Coppola. He shot, um, I think it was the equivalent of 90 hours of film in those 62 days and cut it down to three hours. So there were 96 hours that were never used. Um, but, like, I pointed out certain things to my daughter that, like, the scene when Sonny gets shot on the causeway, mm-hmm. they filmed that on the old um, the old uh, airplane runways that are part of Nassau Community College's campus now. Wow. So if you do, Nassau Community College used to be Mitchell Field, which was an Air Force base yeah. during World War II. So as they were transitioning and building the college, there was an area. The police were using it for um, driver training for a while for their police the, for the officers. Mm-hmm. But there was an area there. They built a toll booth and they shot that there. Um, the scene with the horse's head, which interesting is one of the one of those things where if you watch the movie, mm-hmm. you'll see something that doesn't make sense. And I didn't see it until I saw the movie a couple of years ago on the big screen. There's the scene with the horse's head. Mm-hmm. So now it's at the guy's house in California, and the camera before pans up to the third floor of his palatial mansion. Now they show him in bed. And when he sits up and realizes the horse's head is in his bed, now he's on the third floor, if you look out the window over his shoulder, there's two cars parked. Because it was shot in the ground floor um, living room of one of the Guggenheim estates up in uh, Port, Port Washington, Holy crap. So and, the- it, and they, they turned the living room into the bedroom, shot the scene there, but outside the window, you see, two cars. you see two cars. And they were period cars. I mean, they were like from the 1940s. I want to see if I can find this. But it's just, it's when he's in there and you have to look at it. It's like, oh my God, I just picked up on that. But um, yeah, I mean, they filmed, like, if you go out to, um, if you go down 110, where 110 and 109 meet, mm-hmm. back in the th- uh, 20s, the silent film era, and a lot of silent films we filmed here on Long Island. Um, they filmed the chariot scene from one of Rudolph Valentino's movies, The Sheik, which is supposed to take place in Saudi Arabia. They filmed that right at the 109, what's now the 109-110 junction. Mm. You know, or Little Rascals were filmed here on Long Island. Really? And, and, oh, actually, I did know that and, one. And here's the interesting thing about it. Where the Little Rascals were filmed was also the location of... Oh, here it is. It's panning up. I think this is what you're talking about right here, right? Yeah, if you look, there's cars there. So he's there, and you can see cars right there. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. But it's supposed to be the third floor of his house. And there's a car sitting on ground level right there. right there. Because that's the living room of the home. Wow. Because in that building... It's really everything that you look for. That's pretty... And you caught that. I caught it. And I'm sure other people... There's another scene before this when he's having dinner with Tom Hagen. Mm-hmm. And you see the camera looking at Tom Hagen. And you see a servant come over and pour wine and fill the glass up. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to looking at the director while he's still talking to Tom Hagen. And you see the guy pouring the wine again. Wait, say it one more time. So the scene, the scene is where they're having dinner. And he's yeah, explaining yeah. to Tom Hagen why he's not going to give the role to Johnny Fontaine. Uh-huh. And as he's talking to him... You're looking at Tom Hagen from the point of view of the director. Mm-hmm. So you see a servant come in and fill up the glass of wine. Mm-hmm. As he's finishing the sentence, the camera angle changes to where you're looking over Tom Hagen's shoulder at him, and the guy comes in and pours the wine again. Uh, so they were using two different cameras to change, shoot the scene, cut it, but didn't realize that the wine pouring screwed things up. Uh, wow. So it was, it was a lot of interesting stuff that went on with that. 
And um, but like my my daughter and I love love the history of the movies. But I mean, here on Long Island, you know, you have things like the first uh, transatlantic flight, commercial transatlantic flight, mm-hmm. left from uh, Port. What is it? Um, Port Washington. There's a there's a marina up there, and there's a golf there's a marina that's like a, a private yacht club. Mm-hmm. And if you do an overhead on Google Maps, you'll see a pier that comes all the way out. That was the seaplane tender. And the plane left from there and flew to Europe. It was the first transatlantic flight left from Long Island. You have to start a video, YouTube, <laughs> or uh, just do a YouTube. A YouTube, 15 minutes, every show. It's, and just, yeah, I have I, people laugh I, when I was younger. Somebody else told me uh, that the, the treaties were all signed in Paris. Because that's where the best prostitutes were in the country. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, in the world. They, that was the place to go, and that's why all the treaties were signed over there, because, and all the agreements were made because the politicians wanted to go there because that's where the best prostitutes were. <laughs> and I was like, that is fucking mind-blowing. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, one of the ones that most people don't know, you know, here in New York, we're used to skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. The original skyscraper was the, I keep hitting someone in here, no, the, uh, the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers... King Kong in the Empire State Building. Yeah. Now, they eventually put an antenna on the top of it. So you see it now. It's got that big point. Yeah, yeah, In the movie, there it's just a rounded thing that he's standing on. What a lot of people don't know was that when they built the building, when they went up that high, mm-hmm. one of their ideas was they thought the future of air travel was going to be dirigibles, zeppelins like the Hindenburg. uh uh-huh. They were literally going to have them dock on the top of the Empire State Building and people offload and come down. Realized wow. the wind issue uh, and couldn't do it. But that's what they were going to do. You need to start. <laughs> this is because uh, I love and there's, there's, a, there's a podcast I follow. They're a little on the drier side and their, their podcasts are a little too long for me to really be captive. But like a short 15 minute story I could definitely sit in on. And they're called the Bowery Boys. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No. And uh, they, there was a book series called The Bowery Boys. I don't think there's any relations between these two guys and the book series. But they live in New York City, two guys, and they come out with a podcast every couple weeks. And it's just a little too long for me, but they're really, really good. Pro tip for anybody going to college, if you have to do a history, like I had to take a history of uh, New York City class. I just listen to their podcast every single day. I would listen to like half hour, half hour, half hour, half hour. And then I had to give a presentation while I was in college on... Teddy Roosevelt and how he influenced um, Long Island and New York City, and I just listened to their forty-five minute show. I walked into that. Cl- I walked into the classroom and knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah! And the teacher was like, "Oh, what about this? What about this?" And I just, I mean, because it, it, it was something I was genuinely interested interested in. I think the the man is a, is an extremely incredible person, and I kind of wish I could go back in time and meet him, but. The fact that they were in such great detail, and the content is pretty decent. Just some things are a little drier than and uncaptivating as others. Right. But I was like, God, oh, these guys literally just taught me so much that I would have never, never known before. And you should look into doing something like that. I, you know what? It's one of those things. Like I, I, I remember taking my daughter in when she was younger, but when they were still working on the Chelsea Piers. And I was able to show her before they finished the Chelsea Piers. Do you know what was still down there? I don't even know what the Chelsea Piers is. The Chelsea Piers is on the west side on the Hudson. 
Okay. And it ex- they kept extending it down. The last extension they built, they had to remove some things that were still on the um, the waterfront. Mm-hmm. One of the things they took down was this rusted old Oh, okay. Archway. I, I know what these are. Yeah. So it was this rusted old archway. And what a lot of people didn't know was that was where the Titanic was supposed to dock when it came over. And that's where they ended up bringing the putting the life rafts after they brought the survivors back. That's where the Titanic was supposed to go. And it was still there after all this time. That's fantastic. I mean, it's just... It's, 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 that's incredible that you know that. There's stuff like that. There's, I live in Babylon right now. Uh-huh. There's a church in Babylon, in the village of Babylon, called St. Joseph's. Do you just find things and you're like, oh, I wonder what the history is? Um, I'm an insomniac. Okay. I'm a history nerd. Okay. And I'm one of those people where you don't want to play Trivial Pursuit against me. Because I, ju- <laughs> I, I mean, r- literally like when I was younger, when Trivial Pursuit came out... Uh-huh. I, I still remember we family get together and my brothers had their girlfriends there and I was twelve year old piece of shit that I was and uh, yeah just annoying the fuck out of everybody uh, and we started playing and it's like oh my brother and his wife got one chip and I got a hold of it and it's like I ran the board got everything they were getting pissed at me I was answering every question yeah and and my brother finally it's not a bad to, thing that my brother said to me he goes why are you like this and I said remember all those times we had family parties. And you guys would be playing sports, and you wouldn't let me play because I was too small to know what I was doing. So I came down here and read the encyclopedias. I had a boring life, uh, childhood, but now I can kick your ass in Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> but I, I even That's... like – I have a friend that I met, and his son had a uh, sports trivia show okay. down in Florida. And I said, oh, I'll give him one. I said, it's, it's – there are some records that will never be broken in baseball. They could possibly be broken. Yeah. There's one that will never, ever, ever be broken. And it was, 19, I think the year was 1902. Pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds named Deacon Philippe. They go into the World Series, and they had four pitchers. Back then, your rotation was four pitchers. Uh-huh. One pitcher has a nervous breakdown. The other one hurts himself. So now they got two pitchers, and it's a nine-game series. He is the only pitcher to start and pitch five complete games in the World Series. He went two and three, but he pitched five complete games in a World Series. Wow. You got pitchers now who can't get past the sixth inning. That would be the Mets, and I'm one of their fans. (laughs) (laughs) Also, to to piss off the Yankee fans, Tanaka's not going too far. Um, (laughs) But... uh, And I'm one of their fans? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Five, he pitched five complete games in a world. Do you know how many pitches it was altogether, all five games? No. But, like, the last two games, his arm was hanging off his shoulder, basically. Oh, I can only imagine. But it was... um, That's got to be so bad for you. Yeah. So bad for you to overwork a muscle like that. Well, that was... I mean, um, Sandy Koufax. The reason why Sandy Koufax had to retire at a young age was that... And this is something I used to umpire Little League. Mm -hmm. Little League pitchers are not allowed to throw curveballs or knuckleballs... Uh, unless they're over the age of 15. 15 or 16. They're not allowed to throw them. If they throw them during the games, coaches get warned. They throw a second one. They're pulled out of the game. And it's because you have to put so much torque on your arm to throw it. Sandy Koufax lived on throwing curveballs. And he started having really bad pain in his arm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they didn't have MRI. They did an X-ray. His elbow was literally coming apart from the torque he was putting on his arm. That's so he was putting so much pressure pure throwing the pitch that he was his arm was coming apart because of it. That's why he ended up retiring. Yeah, you know? there's got. I mean, I feel like you have to draw a line to where it's like, all right. I mean, I guess he did and retired, but like, 
you would have to feel that beforehand. Like, oh, my arm's really fucked up. It hurts a lot. You know what it was, though, back then? They played through the pain. Bob Feller was 19 years old when he started pitching. Mm. Pitched for Cleveland Cleveland Indians? Cleveland Indians. Uh, Pitched for like three or four years. Went to the fought in the Korean War, came back, picked, picked up his career like it was nothing. Now nowadays, Matt Harvey starts on a Friday. He's not going to pitch again for five games, and that could be anywhere from seven to eight days of rest. Mm-hmm. Bob Feller would pitch on Monday, rest on Tuesday, come in in relief on Wednesday, rest on Thursday, pitch again on Friday, and those two games he pitched, he probably went eight innings in both, if not complete games. Oh. But he had a 24-year career. Yeah. So it was it was one of those things that was, you know, you just did it. You yeah. played through it. Lou Gehrig p- played through broken thumbs, broken fingers, uh-huh. all of that. You know, that's what they had to do. It's crazy that you hear that now because it's like, I, I and I'm not sure, and I'm not sure because I don't follow these sports, but one, I guess the one nice part about baseball is nobody's dying or nobody's getting severely, severely, severely injured. Yes, they have to play through breaks and this, that, and the other thing, but it's not like UFC where they're getting the shit kicked out of them. Yeah. Literally. And then the other thing, too, is I feel like now with the, I don't want to say analytics, but more so the ability to process information, you have these people that value a player at, I don't know, you're worth, I don't know, $23 million, whatever it is, where there it's... And it, and it really, it, I guess it does really come down to like statistics and analytics of if this person plays this much, they will be X percentage less effective next game. And then if they play this much, not only will they be less effective, but now they're they're causing damage to their body. Where if they're that good, you you'd you would want to pull them before they're starting to hurt themselves or whatever, just to prevent the the worst Im, uh, injuries coming about. That way they can play a longer career if they're somebody that you want to keep. Right. Which, but, you know, but you know what, too, though? You look back, there are, pit, there are players who had massively long careers. And, you know, pitchers who threw 140 pitches in a game, pitched a complete game, mm-hmm. pitched every fourth day. Um, fielders who played through the pain. And, you know, you mentioned nobody's dying. There was actually one fatality in Major League Baseball. Oh, please educate me because I've never heard of it. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now. But it was um, – he played for Cleveland, I believe. And they were playing against the Yankees. And the Yankees had a pitcher who was just – you know, you, Ray Chapman? Ray Chapman. That's it. Thank you. Mm. So Ray Chapman was playing for Cleveland. And back then they didn't wear helmets. And they were playing a game against the Yankees. Mm. And the Yankees had this one pitcher who was a – there have been pitchers who will throw at batters. You know, if you're standing yeah, yeah. too close, I'm going to brush you back. Bob Gibson, Hall of Famer, probably one of the most famous ones. And I've got a funny story about that one. But this pitcher for the Yankees didn't like that Ray Chapman was standing so close. So he throws a fastball. Now, it happened so quickly, all anyone heard was the ball hitting something. They thought it was the bat, including the pitcher. He runs out, picks up the ball, throws the first for the easy out. Ray Chapman takes two steps out of the batter's box, collapses on the ground with blood coming out of his ears. The pitch hit him in the temple, crushed his skull, and he died in the hospital like three or four days later. And this would have been the equivalent. Ray Chapman was the equivalent in Cleveland in those days of like Derek Jeter. He was the golden boy. Holy Christ. And even with that, it still took another... 
10 years before they started wearing any kind of protection. And the first protection they wore was maybe three or four years after that. And it was, okay, you're facing this, this side. Yeah. We're going to put a plastic plate in here in the hat. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. isn't really going to do anything. It'll definitely help. You know, it'll help, but... It's not doing too much. They, I mean, they didn't add the ear guards until... Everybody was, didn't start wearing ear guards until, what was it, like the late 80s. I still remember um, Don Mattingly and Keith Hernandez wearing just the straight batting helmets, like the souvenir ones you can buy with mm. no ear protection. yeah, yeah. You know, um, but yeah, that happened. And the, the Bob Gibson story. My dad used to work for Major League Baseball. He okay. actually he got hired by um, he got hired from while well, he was working with the NYPD to do. They called it the resident agent program, where they would put a local police officer, usually a detective, in a stadium, and he would watch the employees. So they would catch security doing stuff, things mm-hmm. like that, and. Um, he ended up getting hired to work. He started out being hired to be uh, Commissioner Bart Giamatti's driver and personal guard. Okay. And Giamatti dies. And my dad was one of only three non-family members that were at his funeral because Giamatti loved my father. And it turned oh. out Giamatti sort of had a premonition he was not going to be around long. Told Faye Vincent, who took over for him, I want something more for Bill. My father ended up becoming the head of security for the Eastern Region of Major League Baseball. So we got passes to go to things all the time. We went to the 93 All-Star Game in Baltimore, the first one at Camden Yards. Mm-hmm. So we go down there, and um, they had the All-Star, the, um, the uh, Celebrity Home Run Hitting Contest. And they had a pitcher, and Bob Gibson was coaching him, and Reggie Jackson was coaching the batters and Patrick Ewing, Tom Selleck, you know, all these different people. And it gets done and people are cheering for Reggie. It's like, let's get Reggie in there and face Bob Gibson, something he never did. All right. And okay, so they're going to do the 10 pitches. Bob Gibson throws one, Reggie connects out of the park. Bob Gibson looks at Reggie. Next thing you know, <laughs> now think about this for a moment. You've got Reggie who's probably just turned about 60. Uh-huh. And you've got Bob Gibson, who's at least 65. Bob Gibson throws at Reggie Jackson. Oh. It's an exhibition. Bob Gibson throws at Reggie Jackson. Oh. <laughs> and that, and that, was, that All-Star game was a moment for me that I will never forget. Because <laughs> I tell people, and they're just like, really? They had, hey, there you lived it. Well, they, they have this thing at the All-Star games called the Gala. And it's the night before the game. It's after the home, this, the home run hitting contest and everything. And it's all of the players and their families mm. and all the officials from the game and then invited guests. And they'll have a big party. And it's just that everybody can relax and mingle. So you're in there. and uh, I was eating clams with my brother. And Kirby Puckett was on one side of us and Cecil Fielder was on the other of us. We were talking to Greg Jeffries for about a half an hour. Yeah. Two encounters that I will never forget to this day. The first, I find Barry Bonds. Now, this was before the steroids thing really took off. Yeah. And I kind of liked the guy. I was like, I was... so I, all I wanted to do was shake his hand. They told people, do not ask people for autographs. Don't, don't ask for pictures of him. So I find Barry Bonds. He's there. He's talking to three blondes. There's a guy there who many years Stunt. later, when he went on trial, the guy that was standing next to me, I realized it. This was his buddy who was also his supplier. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing there and I'm talking to his friend. I'm like, you know, guy's amazing. I just want to shake his hand. So he gets done talking to the girl, signs autographs from him, turns around, 
And his buddy goes, Barry. And I go, Mr. Bonds, it's such a... And I hold out my hand. He looks at me and goes, you're in my friend's way. And I look at him and I went, yeah, you're not worth the money they're paying you. And I walked away. You said that to him? (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I had a couple of beers at this point. Uh, Half an hour later, my dad sees me. My dad's there with my brothers. And um, Bill White used to be a Yankee. Uh He's now the president of the National League at this time. And my father's over there introduced me to Bill White. And he goes, turns to my father and goes, Bill, I want you and your sons to meet somebody. Barry! (laughs) (laughs) So now we're standing in order. It's my father, my brother, my brother, and then me. So Barry Bonds comes over. It's Bill White. He sees my father, recognizes him, looks at the three of us, and then looks at me. And he's like, and he goes, oh, this is Bill's oldest son. He's an NYPD. He's like, oh, thank you very much. This is his other son, Joe. Goes and this is and I went no thank you and I walked away no. and my father was like so my father comes in and goes what was that all about and I told him what happened he goes back to apologize to Bill White uh-huh. what does Bill White say to him after my father explains he goes it's Barry being Barry oh they expected it Johnny Bench was the same way Johnny That's Bench was so your- sad. It was it was it, it was sort of like very depressing, and then like it's like crippling to you when you take the buses. Like they take buses to take you to your hotel. Uh-huh. Tom Glavin was on the bus next to me, and he was talking to me like it was. He was like, "Oh, did you have a good time at the party and everything?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "You know, I feel kind of weird talking to him. I'm a Met fan." And he started laughing. He goes, "This is before he came to play for the Mets." Yeah, he yeah. goes, "I like the Mets too, unless we're playing for them." <laughs> he goes, "Chipper really loves them. He's back there somewhere." But at the gala, uh-huh. I'm walking around. And um, at the time, David Justice was playing for Atlanta, and he was married to Halle Berry. Okay. I'm walking. Now, you ever, you ever like, run into someone? You're not looking. You're not paying attention, and you run into someone. Like, physically Physically slam into someone. Yeah, and usually, you can tell I usually by, end up hurting people. Yeah, you, you, you can tell by hitting them. It's a guy. It's a girl. They're big. They're small. Yeah. I'm walking, and I, I like, sort of went down the set of steps really quickly, slam into someone. And as soon as I slam into them, I know Small female, and they're going down. My hands shoot out and grab them by the waist, and I'm holding Haley Berry by her ass. I'm, I'm literally like this. You were like, one of the very few men that have been and able I, and to And I looked at her, that. and I took my hands back, and I looked at David Justin, and I, I said, I am so sorry. She's like, it's okay. I go, and by the way, I thought you were beautiful in the movies. You don't compare in real life. I said, you're, and she's like, thank you very much. I said, I'm a huge fan. And then, not even thinking, I looked at David Justice, and I went... Hey, <laughs> and walked, walked away. And um, <clears throat> the other good one was my my um, my brother. We were in different hotels, so uh-huh. my two brothers were in the one hotel. And my brother, I go up to his room with him, and Mike Frances is staying across the hall from him. So my brother sees me, goes running up, and goes, "Hey, hey, hey!" He goes, "Can I get your autograph?" So he signs. My brother says, "Oh, I'm NYPD." He's like, "Oh, thank you." He goes, "I got to tell you something. I like you, but..." fucking hate the mad dog Francesa <laughs> opens his dog door and looks back at us and goes everyone does closes the door and goes back goes into his room <sighs> but it was just the funniest thing but yeah had my hands on Haley Berry's ass a couple of years later working at the Coliseum had my hands on Fergie's ass again accidentally during just the black hands are just <clears throat> she was coming off the magically ramp magically equipped to grab butts she was on the stand on the stage coming down the ramp in uh-huh. high heels completely out of control and it was either she's going to run into a wall or she's going to run into me. Didn't have to really think too hard about that. I got in between her and the wall. Of and, course. Then, and then caught her. Of course. And she was very nice. She's like, nice catch. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> uh, yes, it was. Thank you very much. Dinner later? Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, it's, I'm know, not sure how I feel about Fergie. Once you make a once you make a word in the dictionary based on your name or your stage name, uh, I'm, I'm not really too sure how I feel about that with people. She made. A, she made. I don't know if you know this, but she made Fergalicious, and apparently it's in the dictionary. Well, let's put it this way: she wrote a song called Fergalicious. Yes. How it ends up in the dictionary? I mean, every every year Oxford Dictionary announces new words that are being put in. Some of them are pretty ridiculous. Well, it's they're just trying. They're trying to do something because you don't buy dictionaries anymore. You do it all online. So they're trying. I don't even think anybody. I don't even think that that's a. Like people don't. That, yeah, like you said, they don't read dictionaries, but I think people now either will read it in a book or they have to hear it from somebody and then they'll look it up or have that person explain it to them. Right. Like back in the day, my mom and the teachers would be like, oh, you know, read the dictionary. Who the fuck wants to read a dictionary, first of all? That's probably the worst piece of literature you could ever read. It's a great reference, but nobody ever wants to read it. Oh, no. And I, then I actually have a dictionary from 1972 that I picked up in a bookstore, like an uh, old bookstore. Okay. And it's great because it's got words in there you wouldn't expect. But then it's got like helmet and it's got like all these explanations for what helmets are. Ooh, is it in here? Definitions? No, it's not. All right, good. We're, we're safe. But, um, it's under Urban Dictionary. But yeah, that's, that's my other thing is books. I have um, – anybody who wants to go to a great bookstore on Long Island, I highly recommend Up in Huntington, the book review. Great bookstore. They have readings. There. They have. Is that right coming. in like the center of town? It's if you go up um, New York Avenue past the Paramount. Okay. The next road is Main Street, twenty five B or yeah, twenty five B. Once you cross over that, it's right on the left hand side. Uh, great bookstore, discounted books. Um, they have people for all the wrestling geeks. You may have been up there recently when AJ Lee was up there. My daughter and I were up there and met her. Okay. Um, but I've bought books up there. Like, I'll go up there and... Uh, what's it called? It's called The Book Review of Huntington. Mm. Great bookstore. Great bookstore. The book... Oh, here it is. Oh, I think I've been here. And I've bought... I have, I have five books on my bookshelf that if you took each one of them, opened them up, looked at the date that they were published, that edition was published, mm-hmm. and add the five of them up... It's over 550 years. I have five books that are all over 100 years old that I paid 3 and $4 for. Well, any particular reason? I just love all... I, you know what? In this age of... And for someone who wants to publish on uh, Amazon, when I read, I want to hold it in my hands. I want to... You know, like, to me, a book is... So I got this? Yeah. And, and, and the older the book, it, it, it almost... Develops character. Like, I have one book. It's a Baedeker's Guide to Southern Italy. So before you had photos and all this stuff, Baedeker's was the book. Mm -hmm. And it was literally like a little encyclopedia. And they had these maps that you could take and fold out. And this one I bought, I bought it maybe two years ago. The person who bought it wrote 1899 and signed their name. They were using it to take a trip to Italy. So it's from 18... It was from... I think it was published in 1897. But you, like, take out the map and look at it. And it's just amazing. And it's, you know, I've got, I got that. I have a book that Teddy Roosevelt wrote. It was like the sec, it was the first edition. It was a book of history of the, um, of the Northwest. Uh-huh. Um, that one's like 107 years old. I have a book written by a British colonel about one of the battles, like the Battle of Fredericksburg. Okay. That's like 110 years old. So it's, you know, for me, it's like, I would rather have old books on my bookshelf than anything else. Really? Yeah. I love it. I love old books. I've, I've actually, and one of my goals recently now is to, um, like this book was recommended to me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it, 
But I'm a poor dad, so I don't need any more explanation on how to get there. I'm, I am a poor dad. So <laughs> um, the but there's a there's a there's been a handful of books now that people have recommended to me on the podcast, recommended to me outside of the podcast. Oh, you know, if you like this, you should read this, whatever. And I've I've literally never voluntarily picked up a book ever. I don't other than I think Captain Underpants in like middle school. That's literally the probably the only book <laughs> I've. Christ, I feel old because my daughter read Captain Underpants, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and that and that's really I just I never had a desire to read I I could not stand reading if I there was never anything that I really read that was to the point where it was like oh my god I, I want to keep reading this there was one book I did enjoy which was Lord of the Flies that's pretty much my my daughter would be very happy to hear that that was pretty much like one of my favorite books of all time other than that I hated every other book Gatsby was okay but I never I never really wanted to read it I don't mind listening to it and this is the probably one of the first books. I've ever picked up voluntarily purchased and and just re- and now I'm actually I'm almost hooked. I've 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 been reading this nonstop granted I'm only 38 pages in, but I'll read it for like 5-10 minutes. Like for example, you showed up a few minutes late. I was like, "Oh, you know, like I already showed up a few minutes late. Whatever. I know he's he's running late. I'll just read a couple pages. I read a couple pages and I'm just slowly getting through the book." The one thing that blows my mind though is I don't understand how people could sit there and read a book for four or five hours i actually i have first of all um i'll admit it i actually last time i went on i went out with a uh i'm single i'm single not that i'm looking for any you know um <laughs> just trust me i look at this every morning it's not good um <laughs> it's uh it's quite disturbing um <laughs> but i this one woman i met uh online dating um she asked me if I had any addictions. I said, yes, I have one. Books. I own about 700 books. I physically you own 700 books? That's books I've bought. That's books that have I Have you read them all? Father. I've probably read about 350 of them. There's quite a few that were my father-in-law's that because he's – he had a lot of similar interests as mine. So that my ex said, you know, take his books. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm a huge World War II, World War I, the Renaissance, politics – um, anything like a historical event that will not, you know, that was like when it happened, it just was like amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I own, fully admit this, this should put me off the dating scene forever. I own somewhere around 18 books about Jack the Ripper. Okay. I My, my ex-wife said that she, it's not officially verified, but she considers me a Ripperologist. That's how much knowledge I had of, of Jack the Ripper. Okay. Where it was like, we went on our honeymoon to England. We went on a Jack the Ripper tour. Hey, man, so whatever, was, uh, whatever um, you find interesting. People are, uh, I've learned to come that people are experts or they, or they have a very large hunger for very finite things. If your thing is Jack the Ripper, I've, I've met guys more now that are all i met for some reason i feel like history things are coming up but like history things conspiracy things like especially local history it's not like oh you know this happened like in world war ii and granted yes that involves the united states and 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 everything else but it's like stuff that happened like here like for example the other day i was and this blew my mind but the other day i was driving through patchog and george washington died in patchog there's a there's a plaque that says george washington died here I could not fucking believe it. It's right off Montauk Highway well, you, in Patchogue. Uh, let's put it this way. On Long Island, you have the Little Rascals, which for a while was considered a racist show, but now Bill Cosby's had a change of mind. You know, you need to fund that defense for assaulting all those women, Bill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably was sitting there saying, geez, I need money. You know what? 
That buckwheat wasn't so so bad after all. He's funny. We can sell that, <laughs> oh, dude. That's what a crazy. But um, that's the first but, time I've heard his name in months. But you have um, you have that was filmed here, mm-hmm. and in the same town, you had Camp Siegfried. Now Camp Siegfried's been in the news again because they had to change a law that's been in place since prior to World War II. But during World War II, in the build-up to World War II, when people weren't certain, are the Nazis good, are the Nazis bad? For those of you who thought they were good, wow. Um, The uh, Camp Siegfried, you had a thing in the United States called the German-American Bund. And it was a German-American society that supported what Hitler was doing. And they had camps for their supporters so that they could go there during the summer. And one of the biggest was here on Long Island called Camp Siegfried. And for a while, um, actually up until just recently, the laws that they wrote based on this German-American society that ran this town were still in place. And one of those laws said, you can only, if you live in this certain area of it, you can only sell to other Germans. You couldn't sell to anyone else. That law wow. was still on the books. But you know what? If you do some research, there are laws that are still on the books that are just absurd. Oh, of course. And it's because – I mean my favorite one was uh, when Bush was put into the White House. He was talking about cutting taxes, mm-hmm. you know, and he cut one tax. And I forget what senator it was, Democrats, and it was flipping out. You can't be doing this and everything else like that. And there were two commentators talking about it on TV, and one of them said, do you know what the history of this, this, this tax was? And they're like, well, I don't know, but I'm sure we need it. He goes, the tax was written to fund the war. And they're like, well, it's George Bush's war. We have to fund it. He goes, it was written to fund the Spanish-American War. It was a tax on phone use back in the 1890s when there were maybe 50,000 phones in the whole United States. Yeah, It stayed on the books. And as the number of phones grew... It was like an extra four or five million dollars coming into the government every year or whatever amount, what ridiculous amount was, mm-hmm. to fund the Spanish-American War, but they were now using for their other stupidity. But, I mean, it stayed on the books for so long. But you were talking about you don't know how people sit and read a book for four or five hours. Yeah. First of all, I read four books at a time just because that's the way my head works. If I can keep track of all four plots and all the characters, mm. I know I'm sane which is good in this world. Um, That's that's more than I can handle. But I remember when I was married, there was a book that I had heard about called The Cobra Event. And now in terms of like horror and horror stories, it's a little bit passe. Okay. Still a really good read. And I started reading, she gave it to me for my birthday, my ex-wife. And I I went to bed at 11 o'clock. She was asleep already and I started reading it. She woke up at 7 a.m., I finished the book overnight. I couldn't stop reading it. And it was about a guy who found a, who was um, using a chemical weapon to kill people. And he was just randomly attacking people. I, don't, I forget what the reason why. Mm-hmm. But the first chapter read like something out of a Stephen King novel. Because the person who was infected with it, they started convulsing. Their teeth started like chattering. Mm-hmm. And as they were chattering, they were like sucking, they were like shredding their cheeks and their tongue. Ugh. Yeah, it was. it's really bizarre, but it's called The Cobra Event. And I finished it in one night. I couldn't put it down. And now there's certain books where I'll pick them up and I'll read them for five or six hours, nonstop. But they're huge books. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And I'm putting them down, but I will keep reading them. If I get very into something, I will read it. Um, and I, I literally, like, I'll go to my local library, and the libraries will sell books that they're trying to get off the shelves that they removed, or if people donate books. Mm-hmm. I could go into the library. I mean, there's been times where I've gone to the library 
and I bought like eight books for two dollars, and oh, they were yeah, really yeah. good books, you know. But um, yeah, they just feel bad throwing them out. Yeah. But I mean, history, history on Long Island. Bug. Uh, oh, fucker. We'll give him his own mic. Maybe we can interview him. Yeah. Um, he's, he's gonna die. Oh, there's two of them. Shit. Got that Sorry, everybody. That's okay. That was me killing a bug. Uh, and for you who are animal activists, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> Peta, the, people eating tasty animals. That's uh, our promo. Yes. <laughs> yes. The uh, I saw that. The I've actually never. I, I some of these fucking Peta things are hysterical. And, and don't get me wrong, there is some definitely cruel treatment of animals. There's oh, no yeah. doubt about that. Oh no, but. There was one that was like, stop eating chickens, or because they're pets, and they're not that, or, oh, I forget what it was, and it was, it was so, oh, 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 it was stop fishing, because putting the hook in the fish's mouth and pulling it up to then kill it was too painful for the animals. I gotta I got tell you this and one. And I'm like, what in the fuck <clears throat> are these people talking about? I have a friend on Facebook, uh, I, have, I have multiple Facebook accounts. Why? Uh, I have one for my own personal use that I really don't use anymore because mm. the people I'm connected to are from high school and, you know, uh, nobody saw that. I have one that I use for just managing the social media accounts for my customers. Okay. So I don't do anything with that account. Then I have one for all the people I've met networking. Mm. And um, one of the people liked something someone put up. And I, I, I'm trying to pull back from commenting on things because, number one, you end up getting into, like, arguments with people. Oh, of course. And you realize that you're just... It's its like the old saying, never have a battle of wits with someone who's so tremendously unarmed. And... <laughs> and I like that. And there's far too many never... people out there like that. Um, and this person, it was, you know, right after Trump decided we're not going to be in the Paris Accord anymore. Yeah. And the thing oh, so is, it was very, very recent. Yeah, and the thing is, anybody who... First of all, if someone says to me, when I hear global warming is a, is a settled science, anyone who tells me there is, it's a settled science does not have a scientific bone in their body because if you talk to any rational scientist, they will tell you the basis of science is coming to a conclusion and then seeking out other reasons for that conclusion, it, either denying it and finding something else. Yeah. It's a constant search for knowledge. So to say that something is a proven science, you know what's a proven science? Gravity. But we've been discussing that for how many years now? Oh yeah, you know. So this, so the, so, and if you read the 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 Paris Accord, it was just shit. It was a set of suggestions. Nobody was being held to, uh, you know, making doing these things. If you were a first world country and you were paying the bulk of the money for it, yeah, they were going to be checking up on you. But here's the f- the fucked up thing about it: China, who's one of the worst polluters in the world, and is a first world country, in the treaty they were named a second world country, so they would promised to do something but didn't have to do it so it was like the paris accord was basically it was useless it -hmm. was pretty it was pretty much like when chamberlain came back from berlin and said oh i met with hitler and he wants peace while he's invading poland good job there mr chamberlain yeah so this this friend of mine on facebook likes a comment their person a friend of theirs put up and i read it and i said to myself Okay, either this person is pulling a tremendous joke and it's hysterical, or they really believe this and it's complete insanity. Like, almost like, I'm afraid that there's someone in this world that thinks this is what we need to do. Like, her, one of the things she said was, if you are driving and you're not driving a Prius, you have broken a sacred promise to the earth. Oh, I saw um, a video like that. We, we need to... 
Uh, well, here were some of the things. I'll, I'll hit the high ones that I remember. Um, we need to do what we can to stop global warming. First of all, if you live too far away from where you work that you have to drive, you should immediately quit and find a job closer to you or start biking or walking to your office if you can. Um, you should no longer eat any fruits or vegetables that are not grown locally, and then put in parentheses, this means avocados. But since avocados are a Mexican product, that's cultural appropriation. So if you stop eating them, you're killing two birds with one stone. So you're only supposed to eat locally. And then writes, if you want to learn how to grow a root vegetable garden in your apartment, let me know. Don't No longer socialize with relatives and friends if you have to travel to see them. That's insanity. Yeah, oh, it was, and, and I'm like, there's 13 people who like this. I'm like, okay, little wiki in the wacky woo, but I'm just going to avoid this person. As my, uh, as my, I usually... As my grandmother said, be nice, to, be nice to crazy people and just hope you're not around when they go off. Yeah. No, the, uh, every once in a while, and, and I, I'm a little bit of an internet troll, mainly with like my, my friends on Facebook, whatever, and occasionally something like that will come across. And I don't care about people's pol- political views, whatever. You want to you wanna go this way, you want to go that way, I don't give a fuck. But if you're going to share something, at least just do like a little bit of research. Oh, a yeah. Google search takes like... 10 seconds to do and I'm moderately well read but now lately I've been unbelievably busy and I haven't been able to brush up on everything right. and somebody shared something the other day and I was just like it was like oh it was cutting uh, cutting federal spending to like schools and it was like oh say no to this this is so bad this is so bad and I'm like this was pulled from context because it literally says we're going to be giving the money to the state to and do right. to do what they need to do for the schools, and it's not going to be funded federally. It's just going to be fu- it's going to be funded state by per state. And I was just like, this this is so dumb. I'm yeah. like, you didn't even even look at. It. And don't get me wrong, government fucks up way too much to be acceptable. But I'm like, just just do just do a little bit of homework. Yeah, well, it's, you know what? When it comes to government, I, I'm like you. I've, I, when I was younger, I was very hardcore political. I'm not going to yeah. say what I was because I've, as I've gotten older, I've learned to moderate myself. Because yeah. the reality is, the you sad reality is, you have to do that, number one, because you don't know who the lunatics are out there. But if you do that, you have a better chance of finding someone that if you're having a conversation with them, the biggest problems we have right now in our country when it comes to politics is that everybody is so extreme and so, like, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. One of the one things I hate that's come out in the last few years is that the concept that if you disagree with someone, it's because you're a hater. Uh, I, 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 don't, yes. I don't hate. It doesn't I, even have to go politics. Yeah. It can go with anything. I, I disagree. That's, that's what it like, comes down that's to. A, that could be related to sports. That could be related right. to fucking companies. Oh, but I tell people. You don't like Mac. Oh, you're a hater. Oh, right. you can't, or, or you can't afford it. Whatever. No, it's just... It's a preference. You yeah. Oh, you don't like chocolate ice cream. Well, you're a fucking racist. No, I like vanilla ice cream. I you like strawberry funny? ice cream. The, Who the fuck cares what kind of ice cream you what like? What you said about the apple, I actually encountered that at a job I had where I, the girl was like, I brought my own laptop. She's like, how come you're not using an apple? I said, well, number one, I can't afford it. And number two, uh, a lot of what I do, I do in Microsoft Office. They're still, at that point, they were still perfecting Microsoft Office for Apple. Yeah, yeah it, wasn't, it was a pretty rough product for a while. So she looks at me and goes, oh, so you just hate Apple. I said, no, I have, I have an iPod. I don't have an iPhone yet, but it's not because I don't want one. It's because 
Number one, I don't need it at the time. I didn't need it. And number two, I didn't need the expense. Yeah. I just got an iPhone recently because guess what? Verizon's giving them away basically for free. It's yeah. like next to nothing. But I tell people, the biggest problems we have in this world are we've lost the ability to agree to disagree. Yes. And we've lost the ability to have a conversation where we may have opposing viewpoints without vitriol, ad hominem attacks. I, I mean, literally, like I was just re- I'm reading a book right now about Churchill. And okay. Churchill said that one, one of the things that amazed him when his father was in parliament is his father would stand up and give a speech. And if you've, ever, if, if you've never done it before on C-SPAN, occasionally they will show um, the prime minister's questions in parliament. Mm-hmm. And it's just bizarre. They're standing up and yelling at one another and everything. But he said one of the things that he couldn't believe was his dad gives a speech. This other guy gets up and attacks him. They're going back and forth. And he's like, oh, my God. They like really – he goes, but then when they step out of it, the man walks up to him. Gives his father a handshake. We're, we're going to have dinner tonight, right? Turns around to Winston and goes, how'd you like that? It was kind of fun, wasn't it? And it was that for them, they were able to separate what they're doing here with what they're doing here. Oh, We can yeah. disagree and be friends. Too many people have lost that ability. They just Everybody takes everything to heart. And, and it's one of the things that um, it, it drives me crazy. And... Uh, I, I lost my train of thought. My, my train of thought derailed with the loss of many lives. Um, so, but uh, I remember having a conversation with a girl last year during Warped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's 16 years old. She's in the War- pit. Warped is short for Warped Tour for yeah. anyone who didn't know. So, and if anybody's never been to it or never seen it, it's basically a rolling insane asylum with seven stages, 70 bands, and the majority of kids crowd surf. Uh, which if you've never seen crowd surfing, it's the ability to be lifted up by complete strangers and trust they're not going to drop you on your head on the pavement. And my job when I work at the beach at that show is to catch these kids as they're coming over. Mm. Some of them are very nice. This girl was telling me last year, in no uncertain terms, the only way we can protect the world is to elect Bernie Sanders. And I looked at her and I go, okay, why? Because he's right. Why? Explain to me why. I I just want to hear why. And then she's like, well, you know, he's not into, like, the rich people and everything like that. I said, okay, let me point one thing out to you. I said, do you know the man owns four houses? He's a socialist. He's against wealth, but he owns four houses. And they're not little. He owns four massive houses. Mm-hmm. You know? It was like Al Gore. Al Gore's running around talking about, um, you know, the environment. But, and the carbon footprint people have. Mm-hmm. But if you look at his house in Tennessee... He's got a carbon footprint the size of fucking Texas. You know, we just had the meeting in Davos. All these people swooped in to talk about the environment, and they all flew in on their private jets. Oh, of course. Really, people? The, I think one of the biggest things is is that question: Why? I don't. At this point, it doesn't bother me neither either there here nor there. But when you ask that question of why, and that's not even just. And it's not politics. It's, oh, I do this. Well, why? Why do you do this? Right. Or, and it goes with anything. Oh, I, I post on social media. Well, why? Well, every, I love when people say, well, everybody does it. I get it. Yes, it is social media. But why, why are you posting about this? Why are you posting about this? Like, why did you do this? And the amount of people that are just like little minions. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that, who knows, maybe I'm not different and I just don't see it. But I'm like... It's crazy that these people just 
they fall into these belief lines or they and and it, everybody's eventually going to or they absorb the ideas of the people around them that's just mm-hmm. that's your product of your environment but it's just amazing to see like how many people don't have an answer of why why do i do a podcast cuz i like fucking talking to people why do i why do i put it on youtube well because i want to reach more people i think that this is a very beneficial thing why did I create a Patreon? Hopefully one day that this will be able to pay for, fund itself and, and I can have awesome equipment and have a producer and just produce a great show. But when you ask some people, oh, wh- why do you go to work? Well, I need to make money. Yeah. You can make money doing a lot of things. Why do you do this? Oh, my mom and dad told me I had to. You're 20-something years old and, your mom and, and you're listening to your mom and dad on what you're going to do for a career for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. You know, you mentioned before about government, like the government's worst thing. And I, I hold on a minute. It's um, it's counting. Yeah, counting on my fingers. I'm gonna use my toes later. Um, <laughs> Ronald Reagan once said the ten scariest words in the English language, in the right order, uh-huh. are "I'm from the government and I'm here to help you." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, pretty much. I mean, literally, it was, and, and that's the thing is that every time, almost every time. The government gets involved in something. It doesn't go well. Oh, no. It, it doesn't. It's not. I we're not here to shit on the government, by the way. This is just like proven history. I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm a firm believer in the Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, like one of the things I always I was I was talking to someone and they were saying how, you know, with all the terror and everything like that, you know, oh, this is just going to be a way of life now. And I said, you know what? Here's the thing. In. When the Crusades first happened, they lasted for 150 years. They stopped because a group of people said, in no uncertain terms, we have to stop this because people are getting hurt for no good reason. And they went and stopped them. Second Crusade, same thing. Yeah. Civil War. Now, whatever people want to believe, the Civil War was about economic policy. Slavery was a part of it. The South was actually considering freeing the slaves so they'd have more of an army. So the Civil War, no matter what anyone says, was not really that much about slavery. It was more about economic policy. Oh, see, I didn't know that either. Yeah. No, the, the, the South was starting to develop lines of trade with Europe, mm-hmm. and the North was used to everything coming through New York. That's what it was about. So it's over money. Yeah. Most and, the, so. and the slavery, yeah, there were people who wanted to abolish slavery. But the South was literally like, you know what, maybe we should free the slaves so they could fight with us. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, and it, it, it yes, yeah, slavery did become one of the driving forces eventually. But the war was originally fought because the North was telling the South, "No, you can't do this. Not just slavery, but the way you're going to do your business, the way you're going." It was basically we went to war with one another about what we were going to do yeah. and how we were going to act. But there were people who went to war to end slavery. Um, the, the the war with Mexico. They were marching into US, what became U.S. territory and slaughtering people. We went there and we fought them. Spanish-American War, all of these wars. Every war up until World War II, we said, we're drawing a line in the sand. This will not continue. The problem is, is that after that, our politicians and our generals were more worried with public relations than anything else. Yes. So Korea became a police action. Vietnam, we agreed to fight, but then the Congress stopped funding it and sort of hung everybody out to dry. Yeah. You know, the Iraq war, the first Iraq war happened so quickly. Everybody was like, oh, that's great. The problem was still there. Yeah. There was a, who was it? I think Jocko Willick. He's an uh, ex-Navy CEO, whatever, retired, 
the guy's an animal, and his Instagram is literally his Timex triathlon uh, watch at four o'clock in the morning every single day. He wakes up at four o'clock in the morning, and looks at. Guy's a fucking animal, and he go and he actually had a great thought on this. And he goes, "Wars should be thought up by politicians and executed by generals." So you say, "Hey, this is what I want the outcome to be," and pass it to the military and get the job done. That's it. Well, the last the last time we had that was World War Two, mm-hmm. and I mean just to show you how politically incorrect how they weren't worried about PR. Eisenhower was asked, "How do you count victory?" And his, I think his exact statement was, I don't count my victories by battles won. I count my victories by how many of my enemies I have in cages or I've put in the ground. Hmm. No uncertain turns. We're going to end this war. Now, the interesting thing a lot of people don't know is everything that's going on in the Middle East right now, mm-hmm. do you know when all of that originated, the seeds of that? I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious to see what yours are. The pe- it's, this is from a book. Okay. The Peace Treaty After World War I. Really? There's, now, a, why? there's a book called Paris 1919, I think it is. I have it at home. And they brought the whole world together to try to figure these things out. And this is where like the idea for the League of Nations and the UN came out of. Mm-hmm. But there's stories in there about how they just ignored certain things. And there is, there's actually an excellent book that I have called, um, oh, what the hell is it? The Fuhrer's... I forget what it is, but it's basically about how this guy who was one of the um, the imams in Iraq was aligning himself with the Nazi party. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole, like, he was constantly there. The Germans were coming to help him. But you could trace it all the way back and see that, like, they started, the, the, Paris, the Paris agreements at the end of World War One were a fucking mess. Yeah. They took countries and said, okay, you know what? We can't have these countries being separate anymore. We're going to slam them all together. So Montenegro, the Czech Republic, and Slovakia became Czechoslovakia. And it took until what right after the Berlin Wall came down for them to say, okay, we're going to split these countries back up, and now we have three countries again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there's a lot of – like you can trace it all the way back to the Paris treaties, which were a mess. They were a disaster. You had four countries telling everybody what to do. That's where all the prostitutes were. And those four countries didn't know what the hell they were doing. You had Woodrow Wilson who, yeah, he was president, but he was a fucking idiot. He really was. He thought all I had to do was go and say, we're going to have peace, and that's it. He had no concept of it. His, his big thing was, and one of the reasons why we got caught flat-footed at the beginning of World War II with our military, was as soon as the war was over, he decided after the peace treaty, okay, we can start downsizing the military. We don't need an army anymore because we're never going to have a war again. Mm-hmm. You know? That's crazy. And I told my daughter, I said, there will always be war. There's always going to be war because when there's a long period of peace, there's always going to be one idiot who's going to say, well, there's a vacuum here. I can step in and I'll grab a whole lot of power. Saddam Hussein did it. Hitler did it. Mao Zedong did it. Pol Pot did it. Uh, Napoleon did it. Caesar did it. They become megalomaniacs. I've become powerful. I'm going to push it even further. Hmm. You know? And one of my favorite... that's a, I've never heard anybody bring it up like that. I, and, it's a, and there's a quote. I'm, I'm an old movie buff. So there's a movie called The Third Man that okay. Orson Welles made. One of my, my favorite directors, favorite actors, Orson Welles. I collect old-time radio shows. Mm-hmm. And I love all his stuff with the shadow and everything like that. Great quote from the movie The Third Man. If you never saw The Third Man, it takes place in uh, post-World War II Vienna. Mm-hmm. This guy comes, shows up to meet his friend Harry Lyme. 
and he finds out over the course he finds out Harry Lyme's dead. He finds out over the course of the movie that Harry Lyme was a black marketeer, was doing all this horrible shit. And I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but there's a line in the movie where the character Harry Lyme, I'm not going to say when it's sa- he says it or anything, but he says this great line. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, his this guy is concerned about what's going on. And he goes, "Don't take it so hard, old man. Just remember what they said." For 500 years in Italy, they had bloodshed, they had revolution, and they had constant war. And they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. During that same period in Switzerland, you had 500 years of brotherly love, of peace, of democracy. And what did they create? The cuckoo clock. Fair enough. And it's literally... They make some pretty sweet watches, though. Oh, yeah, they do. And great chocolate. They do. Oh, Swiss chocolate is you know, fucking that's, delicious. That's one of the things. And you know what? I love the fact that they always stay neutral in war. And you can't hate them or love them. It's kind, oh, of, like, it's kind of like Canada. Well, they arm themselves well, too. It's like, we're going to stay out of the war, but if you come in here, we're going to fire. Yeah. You know? It's a good way to live. It's, yeah, why not? Canada, Canada's got some interesting moments. I like their beer. Canada's just great, man. I feel like Canada is just like... It's just like that happy place that just... Sits there. Nobody fucks with Canada. Canada doesn't fuck with nobody else. It's their own thing. We figure it out. It gets cold as shit up here. All right. That's pretty much it. We got a we got a waterfall that everybody likes to come see. It's pretty much it. We got. They have two things. They have Quebec and and Niagara Falls. That's it. No, they have a couple of. They have Lake Louise. I see. Uh, I don't even know what that is. Lake Louise is a resort. Beautiful. If you do a search on it. If you ever if you ever want to take someone somewhere romantic. Lake Louise is a cool place to go to. It's this big, beautiful resort in the middle of the forest. Oh, in Alberta? Big, huge. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's right. absolutely gorgeous. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. This is fucking... This is an understatement of go- yeah. uh, for the word gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was. I found out about that old movies. Old Hollywood movies. They used to film some up there. Stories based around it. That's crazy. Lake Louise... Yeah, I'll fucking slide it over so you can see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is that is ridiculously beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot of places like that. But um and, oh that's the resort? God, yeah. that is enormous. That place has been around since I want to say the thirties. Twenties or thirties. But it's a skiing place. You can go up there during the summer. Yeah. They've got the lake, they've got boating. It's, it's amazing up there. I know people have gone up there and it's just like, you get up there, and I they may have added cell service, but when you get up there, you're basically isolated. That's 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 probably the best thing, though. I cannot stand people being on their phones lately. You know what? I tell people, if I could live anywhere half of the year, not so much that you're not connected, but just because of the way of, I would love to live in Venice, Italy. No cars. Mm-hmm. And people are not the phone like this. Well, we also live in New York. You have to keep that in mind. Where people yeah. fucking live on this thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's billion-dollar deals going down on a cell phone at all hours of the day. Oh, yeah. You know uh, what? But what scares me about it, though, is is that people will do their whole life on there. And, and like, not actually guys, live it. Guys, number one, they're not living it. But number two, just like any other piece of technology, that can be fucking hacked. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a story where there was, I saw the guy do it. Sam Bernardino. He, he had the... Um, he, t- he took his iPhone, mm-hmm. and he wrote a program for it that when he put it next to another iPhone, it would hack the iPhone and give him information. Oh, that's fantastic. And he basically did it 
to show people how vulnerable their phones were. So every time he did it to someone, mm-hmm. he would then sit down and he'd say, this is all on your phone. And the person would look at him and he'd show his card, explain who he was, interview them and everything like that. And what's funny is when I used to work for CRN, Computer Reseller News, way back, mm-hmm. this was when Wi-Fi was just the big thing. Yeah. Um, buddy of mine uh, who still writes, uh, he's a freelance writer now, we decided to go in tr- into industrial parks that were all going crazy with Wi-Fi. You can access everywhere. We took a laptop with us, yep, uninterruptible power supply, all charged up, and we went around and we were accessing networks wirelessly, and then we were going in and telling them. Oh, yeah, yeah, And, and yeah. it was just they couldn't believe James it. James used to do that. Around but, I mean, enough. you could hack anything easily. Yep. And now was, I, I remember going to one, one company to interview them, and they were in buildings that were, like, really close, and I was trying to access their internet, and I couldn't get into their internet, but the next building over... Mm-hmm. I was on their internet accessing the web. Yeah, because they but back in the day security. people didn't know. Oh, it's it was crazy. now it's it's a different world. Now you're crazy if you don't have a Wi-Fi password. And I tell people not only you're crazy if you think going out like you know optimum. Oh, we're going to put Wi-Fi out there for the public unless you absolutely have to, and unless it, don't access your uh, your bank accounts through public Wi-Fi. You know, you just well, it's gotten a lot better. It has gotten a lot better. It is much harder. Don't get me wrong; it's not impossible, but it's much, much harder to hack. There's an app now. Now you can. My old industry, which was energy efficiency. Okay. We used. There's a company called FLIR that does uh, scanners, so you can scan and take uh, like infrared pictures, thermographic pictures. Mm -hmm. And then they made an app for the phone, so you didn't have to carry one of the things. You could use your cell phone and take the pictures. Somebody created a similar app, and they put it out there somewhere. But what it lets you do is when you go and use your debit card somewhere and you type in the numbers, Mm -hmm. depending on how – like some people will push the button to make sure it's really pushed. Mm -hmm. You're leaving a heat signature behind. So what they do is they take the picture, and you can figure out what the sequence is because it goes from cooler to hotter. Yep, yep. And that's why, like, they'll tell you use a pen to touch the numbers. Or if it's – like, if it's plastic keys – you don't have to worry about it as much, but if it's metal keys, it's going to absorb the heat yeah. and hold it. But I mean, it's just insane what people are doing with that stuff. That's fucking you know. Nuts. We had a situation the other night at the concert, the Jason Aldean concert down at the beach. Mm-hmm. We saw a drone flying. So automatically, we thought somebody's flying a drone in here. Could be terrorism. Could be they're filming the thing. No. One of the guys in his band decided to fly his drone and take some video for himself, but didn't tell us. So the park police were scrambling. They were getting ready to send a helicopter up. We had no idea what was going on. Over a drone. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just the technology. It's a cool place to fly a drone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just make sure you don't get caught. Well, the thing is, is then they they learned this now is, okay, the tour is going to fly a drone. Okay, we need to know when, where, and what you're doing. Because, I mean, we were all like somebody's flying a drone over the stadium. And our first thought process is not they're trying to film something or see something. Being explosive. Yeah. What if they drop something in there? You know. Oh, that's the easiest way to drop. uh, Yeah. Uh, if a package in there and you fill it and well, not even I mean you could uh, you could take it I saw someone talking about this you could l- basically take a drone mm. put a small amount of radioactive material on it crash it when that crashes and that's where you basically just made they were saying that when that thing happened with Ariana Grande's ca- concert mm. if that guy if that was a dirty bomb Manchester would have been unlivable for something like 30 years the whole city because it just spreads out. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of a dirty bomb is I'm going to put this on top of an explosive. When the explosive, this is going to vaporize and go airborne. 
That's crazy. So it's you know. I feel like we should. Well, we're, oh, just so we're, just so you know, we're almost out of time. No, no problem. I don't know how but long plus, I, I we gotta leave. Lot. We gotta we gotta leave on a good note. Okay, let's talk about something. Happy. Leave me on a good note. Okay, uh, I'm leaving you up to this one. Okay, so you're leaving me on a good note. I don't want to cut you off from your drone story, but we're getting pretty negative. Mm. I'm trying to be pretty positive. No, okay. Although I do agree with you. A lot of that shit is fucking crazy. You know what? I'm going to pull it back to what we originally started talking about, which is what I was doing in terms of marketing. Fantastic. So one of the things I do when I talk to people is I try to tell them, I'm going to come in. You're going to tell me what your budget is. I'm going to work around it. I'm going to find solutions that will fit your budget. Mm -hmm. And I'm also not one of these people that I'm going to get you website hosting on uh, GoDaddy, and I'm going to charge you a commission off of that. You pay everything directly. You're going to own it. I never want to be accused of holding someone's stuff ransom because I've seen that happen. That's terrible. Employee leaves, holds things for ransom. But what I want to ex- – anybody who's out there who's listening who's saying I've got a business, I need to do some marketing. There are many, many ways that it can be done inexpensively, that it can be done to great effect. And if you're not certain or you don't know someone who – knows how to do it there are a lot of people like me out there who can do it my my suggestion would be make sure you shop around i may not be the best person for you i may not you know some people want someone who's a graphic designer i'm not really a graphic designer but i happen to know through networking uh one young lady who wants to promote her business Mm -hmm. and she talked to this guy and she told me she's going with him instead of me and i said okay no problem but at the meeting we were at when she told me this, they were talking about social media. And I was talking about basics in social media. And I look over. He's scribbling notes. Why are you scribbling notes about social media? This should be something you should know. Yeah. Then I found him online. I found his website. And it's like, this guy's putting himself out there as a marketing consultant. But he's more of like a promotional guy who does some marketing as well. Yeah. So it's, you know, there are plenty of people out there that can help you. And you know what? You can learn to do it yourself. It's not difficult. Even building a website, you can go out and get WordPress for dummies. Learn how to use WordPress. It's not difficult. Yeah, there's videos online. But if you're, if you need to promote your business, there's ways it can be done. It can be done inexpensively. So don't be afraid to do it. Don't, um, don't shy away from it. Don't not do it. It can be done easily. It's probably pissing off a lot of other marketing consultants. There's, Fuck n- there's no great mystery to it. I would rather demystify it and make people happy that they're able to do it. And I've actually told clients, listen, I'm going to come in. I'm going to do the work for you. This is going to go one of three ways. One, I set everything up. You have someone else who's doing it for you. I get paid. I'm gone. Two, you have me come in. I set everything up for a couple of months. I'm doing it for you. I train you how to do it. And you decide, I'm going to do it, and I'm gone. Three, you hold on to me long term. Either way, I don't care. I'm helping you. Mm-hmm. I'm making some money off of it, but I'm not trying to get rich off you. Yeah. And there's far too, like, when I see a company that says, we'll build you a website for, for, for $500, and then it's, you're going to get five pages, one image on each page, 100 words on each page. Guess what? 100 words on each page, Google's not crawling that website. You've got to put up 400 words. You've got to link your social media to mm-hmm. it. This, this marketing consultant, his website, he had social media bugs. I'm like, okay, let me look at his social media. I click on Facebook and it comes up. Now, he's a local guy. Mm-hmm. And I see, first thing I look for is likes. Th- followers. 3.8 million followers. Holy crap. And then I look and realize he built his website on Wix. The social media bugs on the bottom all go to Wix social media. Mm. He doesn't even have his own up there. 
He's getting nothing out of this. He might get a little SEO bump out of it, but it's not helping him in the end. Yeah. And if he's going to go out and tell people, I'm going to help you to do this, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm updating my website because people are going to look at it and say, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. I look at his website. I'm, I'm kind of frightened about it. So big positive thing. Don't be afraid of marketing. You can do it. It's easy. You don't need to hire someone full-time. It could be a consultant. It could be you. You know what? Everyone makes mistakes when they're doing it. We learn from our mistakes. I think it was Einstein who said, I'd rather make 99 mistakes and then get it right than get it right the first time and think I'm a genius all the time. Yeah. Something along those lines. And that's the thing is just don't be afraid of it. Go out there and have fun. And you know what? Sometimes your own voice is the best voice you can have. Your company has to have their own voice. If you're the owner, you're that voice. Absolutely. Just so long as you don't have a nasally Give voice. Give yourself a plug in, too. How do people find you, locate you, social media, anything like that? Okay. Uh, on so Best way to find me right now, because I'm still building stuff up, uh, go to my LinkedIn page. Uh, my name is Rob Carbone. You can find me by searching for Rob Carbone. Um, and uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, my website will be up. It's bonovox.com. Uh, or Bono-Vox.com. Try both of them. They'll both work, I'm sure. Um, now you have to buy both domains. What? Now you have to buy both domains. Well, one of them will work. I'm not buying, I think one isn't available at all. Oh, okay. You know, it's like one of those things when Sting went on tour a couple of years ago, and he couldn't get Sting because the professional wrestler had it. Mm. So he had to go Sting.Compact.com was his URL. Mm. You know? So, um, right, but uh, And then I'll say it right now. If you want to get in touch with me directly... My phone number, cell phone is 631-241-6383. Could be dangerous. But I, you know what? I, Fuck it. If I don't know people, I screen them and let them leave messages. So, right, fair enough. And I block people too. So, you know, I'm not one of those. Uh, if you're, no, I'm not even going to say that. Uh, and then email address would be rcarb007, that's R-C-A-R-B-007, at, Outlook, uh, excuse me, at gmail.com. All right, good shit. So, fair enough. So, if you need some marketing, or you want to contact somebody or pick somebody's brain, yes, reach out to Rob. Um, you can pick my brain, you can pick my clothing, but don't pick my nose or my. Leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I've never heard the last part. Um, it's not gonna go there. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Appreciate the shit out of you guys. I think that's it for podcasting this week. Um, I have a show next week, uh, definitely in the books. Pretty excited to have him on. Don't want to release the name just yet. Um, but it's going to be a great time. And Holy as sh- always, what? How long were we on for? Hour and a half, bro. Fuck, I didn't realize that. Yeah, bro. I'm really sorry I talked too much. <laughs> no, dude, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, this podcast, as always, sponsored by the Nerds I Care, serving all your technology needs. Um, I'm going to do this one a little differently because I'm also going to I'm going to record the beginning after the show. And I'm going to kind of give a little plug-in. I'm going to fuck around with this audio a little bit. So it's going to be released a day or two afterwards, uh, just because I want to mess around with it and see uh, see how I can get it going. Um, but the Nerds of Care, serving all your technology needs, security infrastructure, compliancy things, um, serving everything from Manhattan to the north and south fork of Long Island and everything in between. So if you have any questions, comments, reach out to the Nerds of Care. And if you could do me a solid, let them know I sent you. It would be greatly appreciated. Can I add a plug? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, before I did marketing, well, earlier in my career, I spent a lot of time working in IT. And I've seen a lot of companies struggle with IT. They'll hire one person. That person will get overwhelmed. Things get lost in the shuffle. Companies like Nerds That Care, absolutely great resource. You don't need an IT person there all the time. You just need to know that someone at the other end of the phone can help you quickly. And these are the guys that can do that. 
I appreciate the fuck out of that, man. My pleasure. I appreciate that. All right, guys. Uh, so until next time, peace. Have a good night.